all 10 key aspects of your financial life are working together for your greatest good, your biggest benefit, and your richest life. It's when all of those aspects work together to create the foundation that you need to build the rest of your financial life on. If you've achieved financial wholeness, then you can achieve all the rest of your financial goals and dreams. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas today on the show, our good friend Tiffany the Budget Nista Alicia is back to tell us all how we can be financially whole and to share her brand new book, Get Good With Money. Tiffany is our first ever repeat guest. She was on the show for episode 14 on creating multiple streams of income, so be sure to check that episode out as well. Tiffany, the founder of The Budget Nista, has helped over 1 million women save, manage, and pay off millions of dollars, and now she's back to help us do the same. As always, stick around till the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Tiffany, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 101 for the complete show notes and to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Tiffany, welcome back to the Smart Money Mama Show. Thank you for having me back. I'm always excited to be here. (laughs) This is so fun because Get Good With Money is all about your 10 steps to financial wholeness. And I don't know if you remember, but your first talk at the Mama's Talk Money Summit was about those 10 steps. So tell me about how this book came to be. So it came to be because I was just frustrated with thinking about financial freedom and how incomplete it felt. Because I'd reached financial freedom and I was like, and yet I'm still a whole financial mess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. And I was thinking to myself, when is the last time that I didn't feel like a mess? And honestly, it was when I was still teaching preschool. I was in my mid twenties and, and I thought, well, it wasn't that I was making a ton of money. Maybe by then I was making like $45,000 a year, something in that range. But I had these other elements built into my financial life. That's what was missing. Even though I was, you know, doing well as the budgetista. But I didn't have these other components. Like I had a ton of money and savings and almost nothing invested because I was afraid, you know, like I did not have an estate plan that was appropriate for where I was now, but I did when I was 25. I had a financial advisor then and I didn't have one now because I had gone through a few of them. It it just didn't sit right. So I didn't put the effort to finding someone else because financial wholeness is when all 10 aspects of your financial life work together. And I realized like, Tiffany, you've got the pile of money. And technically, if you didn't want to work anymore, you don't have to, but that's about it. You really don't have anything else going on. And so I wrote the book because I thought to myself as a teacher, I'm wanting to teach something that's that's going to transform your life because to teach is to transform. And I was noticing that people were succeeding in these silos, myself included, and that it wasn't holistically looking at your life. And so I wanted to fix that. Like, I don't think it sits well with any teacher when they're teaching a lesson that is not helpful or useful or thorough. And so I came up with um, financial wholeness and I put together in a book, Get Good With Money. And I'm totally teacher Tiffany'd it out where I have like lessons and homework and other teachers that I bring along inside the book, right? Because I wanted to make sure like I am not an attorney. So I'm like, well, let me bring my attorney to talk to you guys about, about estate planning. And so I'm just really proud of it because I mean, like if you're super savvy and you're like, Oh, you know, I've been here, I've done that. Maybe not for you, but it really, it was for folks who are like, I've hit a wall 
I don't know like what to do. I need to go back to the financial fundamentals. I think like it's going to be great for women who have, you know, maybe you've got kids and you've just been struggling, like limping along and you're like, I'm ready to reset and start from scratch. If you've just graduated college, this is a perfect book because you're like, ah, wait, I have to be an adult. You know, <laughs> what now? This book is going to guide you through step by step by step. If you were really good at one point, but totally something happened and knocked you off kind of like where you were um, and you're wanting to get back on track, this book is for you. So I'm really, really proud of Get Good With Money. It's fantastic. And we get asked all the time, what do we gift our recent high school graduates or recent college graduates? I think it's perfect for that, like an introduction. But you mentioned that you felt more financially whole when you were a preschool teacher than when the budget needs to had started to grow and you actually had more money. Can you talk a little bit about what trauma and financial struggle, how that can last and make it harder for you to feel financially whole? No, absolutely. Because, well, what happened was that up until about 26, I was financially perfect. You know, like I, my job wasn't paying a lot, but I had savings. I was saving a decent amount of money. I was maxing out my 401k or 403b because I was a teacher. I did lean in to ask for help. And then just like many mid 20 year olds, I decided to throw it all out the window. And I did. <laughs> and um, a friend, air quotes friend of mine, you know, convinced me to invest with him. It ended up being a scam that left me $35,000 in credit card debt. So that's like my first real life, like someone took from me that I trusted. And then the recession happened not long after that. And I honestly felt pretty safe because I'm like, I'm a teacher. Teachers don't lose their jobs. And Then they were like, your turn. (laughs) I lost my job. So basically what happened was I was rocked and socked to the core because I was like, wait a minute. Everything that I thought was that friends don't steal from you, that teachers don't lose their jobs. You know, everything that I thought was, was no longer. What happened was that I built up this like post-traumatic stress from, and I didn't realize it from all that loss because up until then I was pretty happy-go-lucky financially because I grew up learning about money at home. My father was a CFO and an accountant. He and my mom taught us about money, but in a non-scary way. So I, I didn't have the trauma that a lot of people grew up with. But then that instant that I would say 2007 to 2010 was so traumatic that by the time I, I saw my way out of it, I carried these heavy um, scars and fear with me. And as a result, I hoarded money. I had so much money in savings. The house I'm in now, I bought it cash, renovated it cash, bought a second house cash, paid off my parents' house cash, paid off my student loan cash. I had like half a million dollars. <laughs> it's why. I knew. I'm like, Tiffany, you're losing money due to inflation. You lo-. I knew, but I was like, I don't care. I want to see it here. I need to feel it. I need to be able to go get it if I need to. I knew that I was not protected. It was not FDIC insured because it was well over the 250 you know, for that bank. I had it all in one. I was doing, knowing all this stuff. I was like, I don't care. And then I realized that like, Tiffany, this is not, is this financial freedom? You know, no, this is, even though like I I had money there and in other places that, like I said, enough for me not to work. This just wasn't, it didn't feel right. I didn't sleep well at night as related to my finances. Business was only growing and I was only making more and I was getting actually more anxious. So it wasn't until that one of the components to financial wholeness is to get financial help, right? It's to find financial pros. So I finally brought in a financial certified financial planner. She's a fee only. Her name is Anjali. And I interviewed like 20 people and annoyed all of them because I mean, it's like- going, Which is a pro tip, by the way. Go annoy all the people. <laughs> Ask all your questions. <laughs> because it's like a doctor going to the doctor. Like, 
you know, you're like, well, really, but what about the hemoglobin? Mm, really? Because, and I know the doctor's like, okay, you're a doctor, we get it. And so that was me. I was like, really? Because actually, so I'm sure <laughs> all the certified financial planners were like, if you know so well, why are you here? Yeah. And so finally I found Anjali, who was amazing. There were, I knew what to do, but I just needed someone to hold my hand because I was terrified and afraid. And that started to unlock, oh, there's a more holistic way to approach your money, Tiffany. Let's go back to like what that used to be. Like, let's unravel this trauma. And that's what I'm wanting for people who read it, you know, but let's unravel this trauma so we can go back to the space where you felt safe where you felt like, okay, I'm in command of my finances. What I love about financial wholeness really is that a preschool teacher making $45,000 a year can achieve it. The mechanic making 35, the NBA player making 1 million, the business owner making 500,000. It is not exclusive. Whereas financial freedom, you know, unfortunately, not all of us are going to get the opportunity to get the big pile of money, you know, but everyone can get the opportunity to become financially whole. Absolutely. So let's define financial wholeness. We've been talking about it for a little bit, but can you give us like the overview? Mm -hmm. It's when all 10 aspects of your financial life, starting with budgeting, ending with estate planning, but there's like debt and credit and learning to earn, right? So all 10 key aspects of your financial life are working together for your greatest good, your biggest benefit, and your richest life. It's when all of those aspects work together to create the foundation that you need to build the rest of your financial life on. If you've achieved financial wholeness, then you can achieve all the rest of your financial goals and dreams. Fantastic. Okay. So step one of that is budget building. Yes. And in your book, you said budgets don't grow money, they manage money. Why is that an important distinction? Because I think that people sometimes think like, especially like me, I, when I, I used to love a budget, you know, like just like tweaking all the numbers and the budget is like, sis, if you started with 10, you're ending with 10. <laughs> <laughs> like all of this is cute, but you know, your budget really is just a physical picture of what your money is doing, what your current money is doing. So I don't want you to think if you just stop at budgeting, you're not going to budget your way to wealth. The budget is to when you're, as you make money, you're telling it what to do. As you make more money, you're telling it what to do. As you make less, you're telling it what to do. So that distinction that it doesn't make you money, it manages your money, is to remind you, you still have to go make money. You need to manage something. <laughs> you got to have money coming in to even have a budget, yes. right? <laughs> and so you have three main types of expenses in your budgeting system, bills, utility bills, and cash expenses. Can you explain what each of those buckets are? I've been doing this like coding system since I was like in my early 20s that to help me understand my level of control over the money that's in my budget. So I always start with labeling all the bills. These are your financial obligations that if you don't pay them, someone's coming for you. So you put a B next to all those on your list. I like to call it my money list, right? Yep. And then any bill that fluctuates based upon my usage, I put a U in front of it. So U kind of stands for utility usage up and down. And so those are the bills that fluctuate based upon how much or how little you use. And then anything else that's left over after I label my Bs and my UBs, everything else is a C. Those are your cash expenses. So now this doesn't mean you actually use cash for these things, you know, but it just means that these are the expenses where you have the most amount of control. And the reason why that system is so great is because one, when things get tight, I used to use this all the time in my 20s when I wanted to go on vacation. I'd be like, I want to go on vacation, but my budget is like, me too, but there's nothing here. <laughs> so then I would look at my budget and I would say, where can I make some temporary cuts? 
I'm not looking at bees or you bees. I can jump straight to the C's and be like, you know what? I could cut off my cable for a few months. I can reduce it. I can, so you can start to see where you have your control. But what I also love about the system is that it helps you to realize what's your real issue. If you don't have enough money at the end of the month, if most of your money is going to C's, you have a spend too much issue. If most of your money is going to bees and you bees, your obligations, you have a don't make enough issue because many of us, focus too much energy on the wrong thing. Yes. So for me, I was already frugal as a teacher, but when things got tight, my natural inclination was to be, let me be more frugal. But actually that was not my issue. I had more bees and UBs. That means I had a don't make enough issue that really I should spend my time and energy in learning how to make more. Once I figured that out using my system, I was like, oh, then I started tutoring and babysitting versus trying to cut every little penny out of my budget. And so it's really important to understand like where you stand and that coding system is like has worked for me for the last 20 years. I love that like rank of control because even utility bills, you have some control, right? It's at like medium level. You can unplug things. You can put a water bottle in the back of your toilet tank, right? Use less <laughs> water, all the things that go into re- reducing your utility bills, but you still have to pay them. You still have to leave yes. the lights on. And then C is definitely having a lot of control. When you realized you had a need to make more issue... You went to tutoring and babysitting. And I know we talked about this a lot on last year's episode about ways to increase streams of income, but why was that the place you went? Can you explain how to think about looking for new ways to make money? Yeah. So I realized long ago that one, I didn't want to learn a new skill set. And two, (laughs) I wanted to be paid well. And so I realized, you know what? If you get a side hustle, I'm not talking about you're trying to make this your main hustle, but if you get a side hustle that is what you went to school for or what you're currently doing at work, or you have a certification in, the schooling and the certification means, because I've got my master's in education, it meant that when I went to go tutor, parents were like, oh, okay, you got your master's in education. That's why you cost $25 more an hour than someone else. Yeah. And because I was already a teacher, you know, the babysitting was so much easier because I didn't have to learn a new skill set. I mean, I knew how to manage kids, you know? And two, because I did it at work and I was able to put that on my resume to say I'm currently a preschool teacher you know, parents are like, yes, that's like everyone's favorite babysitter because you know, you're like, you know, CP- CPR, you, you know, maybe my kids will get a little lesson in, you know, <laughs> that if I can handle 15, three and four year olds, I can handle your one five year old. <laughs> exactly. You're you going to be fine. Yes. So it allows you, so it allows you to lower the learning curve and get to the money faster. So those are my rules that when I'm looking for a side hustle, not a side hustle to be like a business business, but just to make a little extra money, I look to make it easy if I can just extend beyond what I do at work currently or what I already have an education in. Makes sense. Awesome. Okay. So we're not going to spend too much time on budget because I actually want to talk about the next two steps. And mamas, if you're listening, we're, Tiffany and I are going to talk about three of the steps of financial wholeness, but make sure you go get the book, read the other seven. So step two is save like a squirrel. And In your first talk in Mama's Talk Money, you made a comment and you said, I'm not saying no to brunch. I'm saying yes to Morocco. This is a phrase that the women in our community still say two years later. They remember it's one of their favorites. And so explain to those who haven't seen that talk, what did that mindset shift look like for you? So for me, I grew up really, 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 really frugal. And so I was always kind of like super cheapy, but to my detriment, like in a way that I was living less of a life, you know? Yeah, it was the same way. You know, but then I I just, I think so many of us in personal finance, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I realized that like, you know what? I do want to travel and do more fun things. And I realized I didn't have the finances for it. And I wondered why. And I started to look at like where my money was going. 
And one of the places that it would go to is that I was spending money on brunch every weekend with my friends, as you're apt to do in your 20s. And I thought to myself, huh, brunch is not really my thing. You know, I'm spending money because I guess one of my girlfriends, I'm sure that that was her thing. And so she would invite us, you know, because we're friends and I would go. But I realized like, you know what? I would love to have money to be able to travel for myself. And that was the easiest place to find it. And I remember the first time that I said no to brunch and then no again and no again. And my friends teased me because they knew me to be cheap. So they just thought I was being cheap. Like, oh, you're so cheap, Tiffany. But a light bulb went on for me when literally I had saved my, almost like a drinking game. Like every time they asked me to go to brunch, I put $30 in my my savings account. (laughs) You know? And so I remember distinctly, it was my first solo trip. I had a friend that worked for United Airlines and I asked him like, you know, where'd be like a great solo trip for like a single woman, but like safe. And he was like, oh, definitely New Mexico is really beautiful. You should go to like Albuquerque. And I said, okay. So I Googled it and I found that it was the hot air balloon capital of the world. It made me extra excited because that's a bucket list of mine to be in a hot air balloon. And so I planned the trip with my $30 times like four months of not going to brunch. And I remember my friend called me right as we were getting in the balloon and she was like, hey, girl, you know, like, we're going to brunch tomorrow. I know you're not going to want to go. The implication was that she was, like, cheapy. She didn't say it, but that's what she was saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it clicked. I said, actually, the captain said I got to turn off my phone. I'm in a hot air balloon as we speak, and we're about to take off. I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, meanwhile, I live in New Jersey. Yeah. And so does she. And she was like, wait, what? I said, yeah, this is where my brunch money has been going. And I could almost see her, like, hear her jaw hit the floor. You know, it was so satisfying. <laughs> you know? And so what I realized then, she was like, wait, wait, how? You were just in Jersey yesterday. I was like, yeah, girl, I got to call you back. So then later when I got back to my hotel, I called her and she was like, that sounds amazing. And it was a, like a light bulb went on. Instead of her being like, oh, Tiffany doesn't want to go to brunch. She asked me how she could do that too. And so that's when I started to change the language, not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of my friends. Like, because it does feel bad, like Tiffany doesn't want to have brunch with us. But once they realized I wasn't saying no to them, I was saying yes to myself. And so I started to say like, you know, I'm not saying no to brunch. I'm saying yes to Morocco, where I've been. I've said yes to Madrid, to India, to Costa Rica, to Panama, to Nigeria, to, I've been to over 30 different countries, you know, and because I learned that I need to put my money toward my yeses, not someone else's. So it's a win, win, win. So many of us are living someone else's idea of yes with our money. And when I say save like a squirrel, it's because squirrels are like amazing (laughs) savers. If you live anywhere where there's squirrels, let there be an abundance of acorns. You would think they would chill because they're like, I can literally pick an acorn up every day. No, these little maniacs are going crazy when abundance is there, right? They work the hardest, lean in, and save the most during abundant times because they know financial winter or winter comes for everyone because squirrels understand that the acorns they collect in the fall are also for the winter. Not human beings. You get a raise. It's drinks on me. Everybody. (laughs) And you're like, why do I need to work hard? Because it's abundant time. It's like, no, that this abundant time is not just for now. It's actually for now and later. And so that's why I say saving like a squirrel, learning that when you get that raise, when money is flowing in, you actually probably want to lean in a little more, save a little more so you can set aside for when that's not happening. Because at any point in time, like, look what's happened. Who could have predicted pandemic, quarantine? I never even heard of those words before outside of the movies. <laughs> right? And now... Yeah, right. Are we in a horror film? Like, 
Yes. And so, but as a result that if you were, you know, like, so one of the things we are learning now is that like, you know, that squirrel behavior is really ideal. Like, okay, when things are good to really lean in. So when things are not, we can live off those good times. Absolutely. And it's funny, you mentioned getting a raise. We see it in the stock market all the time too, right? When the market is up, there's all these analysts like, this is why it's different. This is why this bull market's going to last forever. And then it crashes. And when it crashes, it's the same thing. Like, this is the time that the stock market will never exist ever again. It's going to go away. (laughs) And then it goes back up, right? And so we have that near-term focus that we need to shift. Be a little squirrel-like. Maybe with more attention span, but yes, yes, with the squirrels. (laughs) So- Saving to spend goals, right? Things like your trip to New Mexico, things like Morocco, those are easier for a lot of people, right? Because you get this really fun thing sooner. But when we're talking about emergency funds or saving for retirement, how do we make those goals more exciting? So I've named my older self, Wanda. (laughs) So there's a study that this financial institution did. And they found that the reason why, because they want to figure out like, because they sold retirement packages, whatever, and they want to figure out why don't people set aside for retirement? And they found it's because people are disassociated from themselves. Like they see their older self as literally like a separate person, almost like you're looking at your grandmother. Same thing, like when you think of yourself as younger, you don't actually see yourself as younger. It's almost like a kid that you knew. And so I thought, well, why not lean into that? Instead of trying to like force it and say, no, you one day will get older. Why not say, hey, you're right. That is a separate person. Name her. Something totally different. And I just love the name Wanda because it sounds like a sassy old lady name. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? And so, like, I can just see myself rocking on the front porch, minding everybody's business but my own. (laughs) I was going to say, I can see you mother-henning everybody (laughs) on the street, right? (laughs) Babe, don't do that! Mm -mm. (laughs) Right? Like, you know I told her don't do that. Now look. (laughs) Right? So that's what I can see Wanda. But that's why I lean into Wanda. I almost think of, like, Wanda as, like, my grandmother. But actually me, right? So when I'm making choices, literally I can see Wanda like, oh, oh, another credit card swipe. Oh, okay. I get it. Ramen noodles. Top ramen for me? Okay. You know, I'm like, oh gosh, Wanda. Okay. 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 So it allows me to make choices because I think to myself, like if I was living with my grandmother, would I ask her to work harder? Would I ask her to go with less? No, that I would put in the work now. You know, because it's your younger self's job to look after your older self. And so I don't know if it makes it exciting, but it makes it palatable. Like, you know what? It is really my job to look after myself. You know, I have to make sure Wanda is good. So I think about that as I look at my retirement accounts and the choices that I'm making. I think to myself, is Wanda going to be okay? How do I want Wanda to live? You know, I want her to have like a nice house. Like I think about it even now because my husband and I live in a um, three-story um house and I'm like, okay, Wanda is not going to be living in a three-story house. It's too much. You know, so what does that look like? You know, but I want that house to be paid off. You know, I want her to be close to family. So you think about those things. So that's what I share with people then. When thinking about long-term goals, make it more real by stepping outside of yourself and planning for her. Because who do you care about more than that? Who do you love more than your your future self? It's it's really important to take care of that person. So it's a fun game. And and sometimes literally like my friends will say, because I have a friend that her um her old self is named Gertrude. And she's like, girl, <laughs> Gertrude was getting on me today because I was... <laughs> And I was like, ooh, don't tell Wanda, you know, because, you know, Wanda does not like me when you spend all your money on things that don't matter. And so that's one of the ways to kind of reconnect yourself with yourself. So you brought up that 
you know, who do you love more than your future self, right? Which is a great question, but something that comes up a lot in our community is people whose parents expect them to support them in old age, right? They come from cultures where that's part of what you do is you yeah. give back to your elders. And so when you're trying to balance saving for Wanda and your future self and making sure that you're fulfilling the family obligations that you believe you need to do, how do you balance those things, especially if you don't feel like you have enough money to do both? It's hard, you know, because I've been on both sides. Cause I'm Nigerian. My parents were born and raised in Nigeria. I watched them take care of their parents and my sisters and I. Certainly, thankfully, I don't have to take care of our parents fully because my dad was savvy and setting aside for their retirement. But we take care of our family vicariously kind of through them. So like we give my father money and then and my mother money and then they use it for like our family that's still in Nigeria. When I lost my job during the 2008 recession, I didn't have the money. You know, so I had to have a sit down talk with my dad and, and say, honestly, you know, I'm really struggling. And it's not an easy conversation because although you're struggling, there's so many family members who are like, they would love your level of struggle. Oh yeah. You know, but my dad, I was fortunate in that he always reminded me that you do what you're able. I know not everyone has the understanding like that, you know, cause like I said, my, my father was a, a financial professional himself and, you know, he told me to do what I was able to do. And if I couldn't, then to pause. And that's what I would share is that like, you know, if that is part of your culture, I think honestly, it's a beautiful thing. You know, this is why not that like there were no um, old people homes in their village, you know, in my grandparents village. But this is why when I used to go to Nigeria, you would see all the elders were well looked after because of that. So I think it's a beautiful thing, but you should be financially planning for that thing especially if you have your family now. That's one of the things I love about Anjali, my, my financial planner. Anjali is Indian and that is part of her culture as well. So when I'm making those plans, she's not like, mm, Tiffany, I don't know. She's like, yes, I understand completely. You know, so how much do you want to set aside? What does that look like? But still too, when, when I wanted to increase my parents, I'd give them like allowance every month. When I wanted to increase, she was the one who was like, do they need that increase? Or is that just something you're trying to do? Because Tiffany, I know we're working on this. I wasn't offended because I knew Anjali, who also understands what it is to give back to your family. She was saying it from, uh, and she was right. I wanted to increase them, but my parents had not asked for that. Literally, like the money I give them is just to like, it's, I guess you could call it like play money. So it's like, well, why would you be reducing your future so you could give them an extra few bucks, you know, just to play around with because they have enough to support themselves. So keeping that in mind too, that you're not over giving out of guilt or a sense of like a cultural obligation. But I say this, that I don't think it's a bad thing, but never, never sink yourself to help other people swim because if you sink, we all sink and we all drown. So. And that's a great point about interviewing financial advisors, people, and making sure they have similar values to you, because there are a lot of people that would fight you on that, right? Like, why are you giving money to your parents? This doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. Instead, you have Anjali who gets it, which is amazing. And so last thing on savings here I want to talk about is emergency funds, because that three to six month number is the number, right? So you talk about it, I talk about it. But for some people, that is like a deer in headlights moment, right? You're like, how could I possibly ever do this? And so what if you're looking at that number and you're thinking, this is going to take me four to five years to get there. How do you still stick to that goal? Is it okay if it's going to take you that long to save up? It is okay if it's going to take you that long to save up. And then I remind people that it's three to six months, although, I mean, you know, pandemic has taught us that that's probably not enough. So I always <laughs> tell them, tell people it's three to six months and take into consideration your industry. How long would it take you to replace your income? So my mom is a nurse. Three months is plenty. She's retired now, but even back then, 
I mean, I remember when her hospital closed, it was like our phone rang every type of the night, all types of hours, because every hospital was trying to recruit her because nurses are always in high demand. Three months plenty. My sister's an engineer. It took her a year to find her first job. And even now she's like, you know, her, her job's closed and she's struggling because it, it, that's a harder industry to replace your income. Right. Yep. So three to six months based upon your industry, you know, it might be a year. So that's one. So when setting aside, it's not setting aside for what your current life is. I say you want to set aside for something that I like to call your noodle budget. And so your noodle budget is if you had to eat ramen noodles budget. And which is so hilarious because some people take me like verbatim, like super seriously and literally. I'm like, no, it's not about eating ramen noodles. It's just like peanut butter and jelly, rice and beans, whatever meaning. We have a similar, we talk about the bare bones budget, which yes. is a very similar concept. And we get mamas who are like, but I can't feed my kid ramen noodles. It's not healthy. And I'm, yes, like, I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> yes. The point is, I want you to visualize if you had to drop down to whatever the least expensive life that you can maintain health and safety on. Mm-hmm. Then how much, so let's just say your normal life costs you $6,000 a month. That's with, you know, the mortgage, but also with cable and Disney plus and all the other things. Right. But yeah. your noodle budget is you trim off all the fat and you can really take it from 6,000 down to 5,000. So 5,000 would be your noodle budget. It's just your bare bones, no extras. And you're not mm-hmm. supposed to live there unless you experience some sort of financial trauma, like a job loss or reduction in pay or whatever that looks like, or pandemic and quarantine. <laughs> Right. And so, yeah. so you, that's just a temporary place to live, but that's what you're adding. You're, that's what you're, you're doing your, your three to six months to. So not three to six months times $6,000, but three to six months times the 5,000. So the lift is not as, as heavy. And it is okay that you are slowly but surely putting money toward that. There is something, I would say there's like a magic about money that once you start to take care of it, it starts to come around more. You know, I know it doesn't seem like it because I can remember literally thinking like I used to transfer like $5, $2 to my online only savings account when I was saving, thinking like this seems ridiculous, but I wanted to get in the habit of I'm always setting aside. And then $5 one day became 15 and then 15 became 50, then 50, then 500, you know? So I don't worry so much about like how little you're able to do practice doing something and then something I promise you along with these other good habits that you're that you're collecting along the way something becomes more and so yeah if it's gonna take you it probably took me maybe like four or five years to get to because now I have like I think I've got still too much in savings Anjali's like Tiffany I'm like I know I know <laughs> I've got like well over a year's worth of, of saving okay a year and a half um <laughs> Be honest. I know. <laughs> I'm like, but some of that is for property. She's like, you've been saying that for a year. The market is moving. You could have made money on that. I'm like, I know. I'm scared still. No, but honestly, so it took me a number of years and that's okay. Because this is what I'll see. Folks will hit me up and say, oh man, like I had my emergency fund or whatever and my car broke down and I had to use it. I'm like, you know, you know, that that's what it's there for, right? <laughs> and they're like, true. Because before, what would you have done? Prior to that credit card, you would have swiped the credit card and then you would have paid more for what that item was because maybe you you likely wouldn't have had that money to pay it off in full. And so remember that your emergency fund is for emergencies and however you get there, you get there. Some people walk marathons. Some people um, run marathons. Either way, you're here to just finish, you know, and you will no matter what your pace is. 
Absolutely. And this is the perfect transition into talking about step three, getting out of debt. But before we talk about that, let's take a quick pause and hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Did you know that banks make over $35 billion, with a B, dollars a year from fees? Overdraft fees, maintenance fees, ATM fees. The average American pays over $100 a year in bank fees, but not when they use Chime. I'll be honest, I'm a little obsessed with our Chime accounts. The Chime app has no hidden fees, has over 38,000 fee-free ATMs, helps you get paid two days earlier with direct deposit, and helps you grow your savings with an optional high-yield savings account. And that's just some of the benefits. I love that every time I swipe my Chime debit card, I get an instant notification on my phone with a cute little emoji telling me how much was spent and how much is left in my account. It makes staying aware of our spending so much easier. Head to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Chime and make the switch today to a bank account that has your back. Chime is a financial technology company. Banking services provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. And this was the perfect transition into step three being dig out of debt, because one of my favorite things you said in the book was being debt free plus having no savings equals having debt, which is exactly what you're saying, right? You don't have that emergency fund. You're going to have to swipe the credit card. And so how do you balance saving like a squirrel while getting out of really high interest debt? I believe doing both. I know some people are like, some gurus will use air quotes will like will prioritize debt over everything no mm. matter what get debt free don't worry about wanda don't worry about savings don't worry about anything else debt free is the way to be and i always say well so my niece and my nephew come over all the time roman in particular he doesn't have a mortgage he doesn't have car note he doesn't have student loan debt he doesn't have credit card debt and roman is broke he is debt free <laughs> and broke he's five years old if these, because I know you got two little ones, if debt-free yep. equals wealth, then your kids would not be looking at you like, so what are we going to eat? Where are we going to go? Where we gonna... They're your broke best friends. These are your broke roommates. <laughs> and We're so, more Legos. <laughs> but I share that because, and just to give a little levity, because so many of us are so, obviously debt-free is a good thing. But it doesn't mean as much as you think, because if it did, wouldn't every toddler be out here driving a Maserati? That I want you to make debt freedom a goal, not the goal. It is the goal is to grow wealth and achieve financial wholeness. But debt freedom is something that you get along the way. I don't want you to kind of stop there. It is something that you collect along the way, like good credit, enough savings, learning how to earn, stuff like that. I say this, that you do both at the same time, you know, that you should be putting more money toward paying down your high interest debt. You can do a 50-50 split. The, The amount is really up to you. But then also putting money toward your savings because your savings is your first safety net. When something happens and you fall financially, your savings is the first thing to catch you. And sometimes you break through that safety net because you you spend all that savings. And then there's other things, hopefully, to catch you. And sometimes credit cards are some of those things. But I prefer that not to be your first safety net because that's an expensive net to catch you. Because believe me, I know $35,000 worth of I know. But ideally, you want to be caught by your least expensive safety net, and that is your savings. So you don't want to neglect it. You should always be paying down debt and saving at the same time if you have not already maxed out your your emergency fund or if you have not paid off all your um, your debt. But definitely prioritizing your high interest rate debt first because it is your most expensive debt. But I will say this, that I kind of like a mix of the snowball method and the avalanche method. I like to start off snowball. So snowball is when you pay off your, your lowest debt first, you know, just to, just to warm up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? And then as I get the hang of it, then I'm like, okay. 
I start to pay off the high interest rate debt, which is your, which is the avalanche method, especially if there's two debts that are almost similar in balance. And I'm like, well, let me pay off the one that's more expensive, which is the higher interest rate. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And you brought up a good point too with the safety nets of why your credit scores are important to go back to the quote unquote guru who doesn't think credit scores matter and they're just a sign <laughs> of how good you are at debt. Everyone knows who we're talking about. (laughs) If you need a safety net and you need a personal loan, you need a credit card. If you don't have a credit history, you can't rely on that. And so you're leaving yourself at way more risk. Yes. Here's the thing about credit. I don't worry about it unless I need it. Like if I'm like, you know, usually people don't say tomorrow, I want to buy a house tomorrow. Usually, you know, you work your way up to that, you know? And so like, I always say credit is, it's like, you want to have a decent score, but you don't have to, like, I'm actually pretty conservative financially, meaning like I don't carry any debt. I don't actually really use my credit cards, but I have them and I keep my score above a 740, which is the beginning of perfect credit. If you're using the FICO score scoring method, I keep that because if I do like, I don't credit is like my friend Nativa says it best. Credit is like, I need you to know me before you need me. <laughs> so, yes. so with credit, credit's like, well, 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 look who we have here. I haven't seen you in a little while. You want a house? Mm, come back in two years. You should have been ready. Yeah. You know? And so I really believe with credit, it's just having it on ready. You don't have to use your credit cards all the time. Like I said, my credit score is like an 802. You know, I've, I've got my one credit card that I pay off every month in full. I put Netflix on it just to keep it like running. And I, you know, so, you know, I'm not really big on like carrying debt, but I also know like practically we live in the United States of America, many of us, where like credit is a, this is a credit built society. And so not having access to credit is to your, is to your detriment because there are literally going to be some jobs. Like my, one of my mentees is an attorney and she was really nervous because she asked me to help her raise her credit score because she was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to get this job at this law firm because they said they're going to look at my credit score because they look at it as um, an extension of your ability to be responsible. And so like credit is not something that it's easy for people to say, you don't need credit. I'm like, I'm sorry. Everybody can't buy a house cash. You know, that would be yeah. awesome, you know, but you have to leverage. And like, what if you need a new heart? Are you going to be like, just give me five years while I save up? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? sometimes you have to finance some things. <laughs> You do. And it is in so many other areas of our lives that we don't realize. It's the jobs. It's applying for rent, right? When they check your credit score. It's in many states, it even affects your car insurance premiums. And like that's been made illegal in a number of states, but they look at it as a measure of how responsible you Mm -hmm. are. And so in Jersey, I know like PSC&G, that's our our, um, energy company. I don't know if they still do this, but at one point they looked at your credit. You would get charged more for kilowatt or kilobyte based upon that. And I remember thinking like, that's not fair. But then I understood why is because after doing their research, they realized in the winter, when the bill got really high, there were certain folks that were less likely to pay. So they're like, well, when things are good, we're going to actually get more money out of you because you're more likely to not pay later. Because that's what credit is. Credit is an indication of like what you're likely to do later financially. So I'm like, wow, you're literally your, your electric bill could be higher based upon your, your credit score. So credit is important. Even if you're not using it, no credit is bad credit. People are like, how's that? So I'm like, are you letting your, your six year old drive your car? They have never been in a car accident before. They don't know how to drive. (laughs) So a new driver is a bad driver. Well, and I think it was Jason in your book who said yes. credit score is not an indication of how you manage your money. It's how you manage other people's money. And they need to know that you're good at that. Yes. But let's take to the side of like when debt gets stressful. We're mm-hmm. thinking about debt collectors and you're really overwhelmed. Can you just talk to us for a minute about what do we need to know when debt collectors are calling? So 
Debt collectors are just regular people. They're doing their job, although I don't know if I agree with their job. But <laughs> I learned this lesson the hard way because I remember when I, I was losing my house during the recession, my condo that I bought when I was 25 and I was 29 and I couldn't afford it anymore because I didn't have a job. And they were calling me like crazy. And it was really scary. And I called my friend who was an attorney and I'll never, like, I always thank Michaela. Somebody, she has literally vicariously through me helped, helped hundreds of thousands, if not over a million women as it relates to dealing with debt collectors. She reminded me that you are always being recorded and you can use a recording to your benefit. So one, remain calm. You know, like if a debt collector calls, like this is before, like debt collectors used to call back then that like, you know, you're all shaky and this is not your mom or your dad. You know, you could be like, can't talk right now. And they could keep going, click. You don't have to talk until you're ready. You definitely want pen, pad, remain calm. If the kids are screaming in the background, not right now. <laughs> you know, you want a quiet environment and always get their name up front. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, before we start, Maria, James. Okay. And then I like to say out loud so they know I'm also taking note. Maria James, Wednesday the 3rd at 2 p.m. Okay, what what is it that she's going to like, oh, okay, she's taking notes. So that's one, you want to remain calm. Two, you're wanting to make sure that like, you don't have to admit to anything other than, yes, that's my name, Tiffany. Now, what is this debt about? Can you send me a debt verification letter, please? Because they, by law, have to verify. This could be Bob down the street, prank calling your phone. You are allowed to ask, like, I need you to verify that you actually, like Michaela said it best because she was on the phone with me when I was, um, my mortgage company was calling to harass me and they were like, who's this? I'm like, this is my attorney. And she was like, I need you to verify that you are legally able to question my client about this debt. I was writing those notes down like, ooh, because when Michaela's not here, I'm going to say that. <laughs> and so you can say that. Hi. Like, I remember distinctly, it must have been a new debt collector. Because I said that, I was like, oh, no, I'd like a, a debt verification letter. I, you know, she's like, well, we don't have to do it. I said, no, no, by law, you do. It's called the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act. You can Google them. Fair Debt Collections Practices Act. And you can literally look at the statute number. And I forget what it was. Let's pretend it's like 2294. I said, no, no, no. According to the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act 2294, you must, you know, give me like a debt verification letter if I'm asking for it because I, I don't know you, you know? And so she was going back and forth. And then her supervisor, because remember, it's being recorded, stepped in and said, oh, actually, ma'am, we'll have it to you. I was like, yeah, I know you will. Because <laughs> at 2 p.m., being refused it. Because if I were to ever go to court, I can say, well, judge, at 2 p.m. on February 3rd, I was refused what I know that I'm legally allowed to ask for. And then after that, then I want to see the, the verification to make sure that, one, I deal do indeed owe this person and how much or this company and how much I owe. And then you can start negotiating from there. One thing I learned because I used to literally give me anxiety when my phone used to ring and I was like, what can I do? And then I got to Google and it was like, what? That, you can do a cease and desist letter. Okay. And so literally that's what I did. I, I went to the Googles, found myself a cease and desist letter and I put, you're not able to call me here. Because they were calling me at the uh, daycare center while I was still working. They were calling my sister's job, calling my parents' phone. Because they're trying to shame you into paying. And just because you owe someone, it doesn't mean they're allowed to abuse you. Like, yes, I can say I owe, but that doesn't mean you can be abusive to me. So I wrote, um, I got the letter, filled in where they were not allowed to call me. You do want to make sure that they are able to contact you. So I gave them, you can contact me via letter. Um, here's the address. Or via email. And so I, I spent like the last little $2 I had went myself down to Staples and faxed it, not mailed it because faxing is instant and you get the instant receipt. The next day, all those calls stopped. 
So you are able to process and, and work through what you're, you know, what you're owed without having to worry about your phone ringing every, every two seconds. Because if you were to go to court, you want to be able to hold all these things, bring your notebook, bring your debt verification letter request that you fax them, bring the cease and desist letter to prove that they received it. So that way, you know, if they're, and you could say that, like if they call after the cease and desist, you can say, remember they're being recorded. Hi. So I know this line is recorded. I'm questioning why are you calling me after yesterday at 3 p.m. I sent you a cease and desist letter. And according to my, you see what I mean? That people are like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. and so <laughs> like, yeah, if it makes, and honestly, I went from being, being on the defense to being offensive and feeling not afraid, but feeling empowered. And did I eventually pay my debt? Yes, I did. Because I do believe like, okay, this is what I owe. But sometimes I worked out a negotiation like, well, I don't have $10,000. Well, what if I could do payments on five? You know, so those are the types of things you're looking for. And I walk through them in the book, but don't let a debt collector um, harass you or mistreat you. You can owe money and still maintain your dignity. I mean, people owe, you know, you didn't, you didn't take anybody's puppy. Like you, you owe money. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> and so you had something illegal happen with your condo. Can you explain what happened and then how you used the recorded line to your yes. benefit? So I would literally leave to look for work and they used to lock the door. Can you imagine? Like literally lock, like put the padlock on as if you were, um, like, you know how, like, if you're like, if, oh, like a realtor puts like that big old lock. Yeah. I remember the first time that happened, my heart was like racing, like, oh my goodness. Cause literally one, they're so terrible. So what happened was they had, they were having a locksmith come out. They knocked on my neighbors cause they, they looked in the window and the locksmith had a, actually had a heart at the first one anyway. And he was like, it looks like somebody lives here, you know? And so he knocked on the neighbors and the neighbor was like, yeah, Tiffany lives here. And so he was like, tell her that the bank is trying to get me to lock here, but they've been doing this a lot lately. I don't feel right about this, that it's one thing to lock a property that's been abandoned, but it doesn't look abandoned. Because that's what they tell the locksmith. This property has been abandoned. We're securing our asset, Mm -hmm. but it's a lie. That's not what they were doing. They were hoping to scare you to walk away. But what they don't know is I know people with a lock cutter. So, um, (laughs) because they illegally locked me out, there's no paperwork. There's no, what, what they were hoping is that you would actually abandon the property and then they could seize it legally. That was illegal. They've since been sued, not by me, but just in general, this yeah. terrible bank, which always is begging to work with me now, which I think is hilarious how things <laughs> turn. I'm always like, give me back my condo. Uh, you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, I'm not interested in working with you. <laughs> but yeah, that. so when they called, I would say that on the phone. I would say, Michaela taught me that. That they would call me and say, hey, you know, we, we need our money or whatever. And I would say, did you or did you not put a lock on my home and try to legally lock me out of my property when I'm currently living there? But what? No, no, there's a lock. I can send you a picture. Actually, I will. I'll email it. There's a lock on my house. It says your bank's name. And the locksmith let me know that you, you sent him. And you tried to lock me out of my property. Well, ma'am, I just, no, no, no. Is there a lock on my home? Yes. Oh, okay. So you illegally locked me. So like literally getting those words out because they know. And I'm like, okay. So, and then I'm also writing notes at the same time. In other states, banks can come just get your property like the next day. But New Jersey, there's a long drawn out process. So I was in that home for like almost four years before it was finally fully foreclosed upon. Because when I finally was started making a little money, I was like, okay, I can start paying my mortgage again. But they're like, no, with all the taxes and the fees and everything else, she owes $80,000. They can start paying. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And so by then I had rented out the condo and I was like, yeah, but I can, I'll use the rent and I'll pay the mortgage. And they refused it. I said, well, you know who does need the money? Me. So, <laughs> so I, I, they like literally refused to take it. I'm like, I don't have $80,000 in back pay. 
So, you know, I lost the condo, but honestly, I regained some freedom. At first, I thought losing my house to foreclosure was going to be the worst thing ever, but it wasn't because thankfully at that time, the president, I believe it was uh, President Obama, he had a law in place because normally if your house is foreclosed upon, you could be issued a tax bill saying that you've been forgiven this debt. And so I know friends who've been issued tens of thousands of dollars in, in a tax bill after foreclosure, which doesn't make any sense. But because so many of us were losing our homes during that time, that there was this temporary kind of law in place to say, if you lose your home due to foreclosure during this time, you will not be issued a, a tax bill. And so thankfully I wasn't. So I lost the house and certainly I lost like, you know, the money that I put in over the, I think I'd had it for like four or five years by then, but I didn't have like this burden of $200,000 sitting on my back plus $80,000 in fees. I was able to start fresh and new. And so it was, it was a blessing in disguise, although hard during that time. Oh, for sure. The one other thing on debt collectors that we've had come up a few times in, in our community is someone saying, I got this call about a debt from six years ago from medical debt that never got paid. Do I have to pay it? I'm worried about this impacting my credit score. What do we do when people are calling about very old debts? So one, always, always, always remember, ask for that debt verification letter. Everyone should just Google statute of limitation for debt in my state. So you want to look for revolving debt. That's a credit card debt. And you also want to look for installment loans. So that's like any, basically any other debt. That's like your, your student loan, car note. So in New Jersey for revolving debt, it's six years. So after six years, it doesn't mean that I don't owe it. It means that they cannot use legal means to collect it because you've had six years to use the court to use all the law in your favor, because basically they're like, we have other things to worry about. Use your six years, get your money or get out. By then it's, it becomes what's called zombie debt. So, you know, like zombies are like alive, but dead, right? <laughs> so the debt is alive in that, do you still, oh yeah, can they collect? And eh, no, not really, at least not legally. So this is what I tell folks, when, especially as it relates to your, your credit score, just like with a driver, I am judging your driving ability by what happened in the last six to 12 months. Then second, most important in the last two years, then third, most important in the last three or four years, and then so on, so on, so on, you know? Mm -hmm. So what happened to you financially six years ago doesn't have much of a bearing on who you are now, has very little, if any, impact on your credit score because you're like, that's cool, but you've been on time for the last two years. This is who you are now. So yeah. the worst thing you can do is if you're looking to purchase a car or especially a home is to go back and pay off this old debt right now. I'm not saying don't pay it off ever, but not right before you're about to make this big financing purchase, like a, like a, a car or a home, because you're then going to make that old choice new again. You made something that they were barely looking at, like, oh, well, this is brand new. You didn't pay. So like I said, I, I've eventually paid off all my debts, but you want to be strategic about, about doing so that like I work on the newer stuff first and I can slowly but surely work on the older stuff if I, if I even get around to it. But I always prioritize your family, your health and your safety above all else. Absolutely. And I also found it interesting that like they can try to get you to make a small payment, which as you said, then makes it new again and like restarts yes. kind of that statute of limitation. So, devilish, so right? Oh, Terrible. it's horrible. <laughs> There are actually some debt collection companies. A friend of mine was a, like worked at a company and she was like, honestly, Tiffany, I've actually seen some debt collectors because they get paid sometimes commissioned by how many debts they collect. We'll make a, a dollar payment for you. Can you imagine? That feels completely illegal though. It is. And so she's like, <laughs> but they would do that hoping to like, you know, like for, because it's hoping to force your hand. And so like so many of the things that debt collectors are doing, that's why they have the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act because 
you know, they're not allowed to call you before a certain time. They're not allowed to call you after a certain time. They're not allowed to call you if you ask them to stop. They're not allowed to make threats. They're not allowed to say that they're going to imprison you. And yet, sometimes these folks do that, you know, because at the end of the day, yes, it's a company, but it's actually a person on the other end of the line as well. And so knowing what the law is and reiterating it back to them, that way, if, if you should ever have to go to court, you know, you're able to say, this is what happened and it's not okay. Absolutely. All right, Tiffany, we're coming up on our end of the episode here. And I want to ask you, we've talked about these real basic things about financial wholeness, but it's also about building wealth. And so any messages you have about tackling these first three steps, but then really thinking longer term and, and how you build that wealth? Absolutely. So the way I wrote Get Good With Money and, and the way I designed financial wholeness is the first five steps are like super foundational. So that's budgeting, savings, debt, credit, and learning to earn. That is like the ABCs of what you're going to do, right? But you have to learn how to grow money via investing. So investing for retirement, because that is investing, not savings, right? And investing for wealth. So you have to learn how to invest. Even if you do like a semi-set it and forget it, maybe you're just like, you know what? I learned, I just learned what index funds are. I'm just going to put my money in the index fund. Okay, you are better off than you know, like most of the population. And like, let's just say you're like, okay, for retirement, I'm just going to do a target date fund. It's a fund, that, a mutual fund that you put your money into and it becomes more and more conservatively invested the closer you get to the target date, which is typically retirement. If you just do that, that's still better than nothing or putting your money just in a savings account. So you have yeah. to learn how to invest. But it's not just that. Something that I was short on, like I was not protecting my assets through insurance. Anjali was like, this insurance policy is super low. I'm like, yeah, I got it when I was 26. She's like, you're 40 now. (laughs) (laughs) And you have a very large business and other assets. She was like, sis, $300,000 is not going to cover you. (laughs) That's what it was for. And But I got it. But do you see why I was closer to financial wholeness when I was 26? Because $300,000 was fine. I had a condo that was worth $220,000 and I had debt on $50,000. And so I got enough to cover me, to cover my bills, should should I pass, but also... To make sure, like, you know, my parents had to bury me, unfortunately. So you're, the purpose of insurance is to protect you and your assets. So you want to make sure that you are fully insured. And I go through, like, all this, the different components of, like, insurance and what you need to have. And I lean heavily into Anjali for that. Because I, I truly believe that. I don't believe in financial gurus. I believe in financial educators, financial girlfriends, you know. A guru indicates that like this is the one person you go to for everything, but I cannot possibly know in depth every single thing. So I pulled out people like Anjali to help with that. Also, increasing your net worth. Typically, when people think financial freedom, it's net worth, but it's really what you own minus what you owe. How do we owe less and own more? So really getting to that, this is the next level of the financial things, foundational things that you're going to be building. Having your money team. You know, who's on your team? At the very least, I say get yourself an accountability partner, but there are other team members that you might want to have. And how do I vet and find and pay them? I go through that as well. And last but not least, estate planning. When I was 26, an estate plan, enough for me was to say my mom is a beneficiary on my bank accounts and my insurance policy from work as a teacher. That's an estate plan for a 26-year-old. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any. But for a 40-year-old, an estate plan, I have a trust and a will and And so what are the components of an estate plan? How do you fund them? What does it look like? That's the second half of the book. Like after you do the foundational things to really get to the next half. And and that is how you get this holistic, sound financial life that can take a, a shaking. Think about like what it really takes, like like how the way houses in um in California are built. 
Those foundations are built specifically to be able to handle earthquakes. And so I want you to build a financial foundation that could take a little shaking pandemic. That could take a little shaping quarantine. That could take a little shaking loss of job, reduction of income. And so that is what financial wholeness will do for you to create this foundation that could take a little shaking, but will enable you to, if you desire, grow great wealth on something that, that is, that is strong. That is absolutely a beautiful thing. Now, Tiffany, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? I am. I am. If you now could go back and tell Tiffany, who is just starting the budget Nisto, one thing, what would you tell her? I would tell her to ask for help because I thought I had to do it all by myself and I struggled unnecessarily as a result. And I was just terrified and afraid because I'd been tricked before. And to let her know that there are a lot of good people out there. Yeah, there's some people that are not so great, but there are way more good people than not. And the journey would be so much easier, girl. Just ask (laughs) for help because you literally know nothing. (laughs) And you don't have to learn every lesson the hard way. Sometimes someone could just tell you the oven is hot. You don't have to put your, your hand on it. So yeah, I would tell her to ask for help, ask for help, ask for help. It's a very good message. All right, Tiffany, where can people follow you and buy Get Good With Money? So I am the budget Nista on all the platforms, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, although I do not TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, um, but you can get Get Good With Money at literally getgoodwithmoney.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can get it and it comes with bonuses. Actually, I don't know if it's going to come with bonuses when y'all hear this, but either way, it might still be up. And definitely, it, it, I created a toolkit for Get Good With Money that it definitely comes with because I understand that people need additional resources. Honestly, I really, 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 really love teaching. It is my purpose. It's my passion. It's why I know that I was created. So any avenue that I can teach and reach people and transform their lives is always a good day for me. And so hopefully you will allow me into your life to help teach and reach you. And yep, getgoodwithmoney.com. Thank you. That's fantastic. Mamas, we will have links to all of Tiffany's platforms and absolutely getgoodwithmoney.com in the show notes. Tiffany, thanks so much for coming back and chatting with us again. Thank you. You always have, I always have such a good time. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. We should tell tell people that I'm wearing your, um, because not everybody is watching, like, so. (laughs) So true. (laughs) She's wearing her radical acts of wealth building Mamas Talk Money sweatshirt. Yes. It's so soft. It was not like, oh, well, let me wear the sweatshirt because I'm, no, no. I was like, I wear the sweatshirt because I wear the sweatshirt. (laughs) <laughs> she got on and I said, nice sweatshirt. She was like, oh, right. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. All right. You too. Mamas, I always love getting to chat with Tiffany, and I hope you learned so much from her in this episode. I think her concept of financial wholeness is fantastic and fits so well with our holistic view of personal finances and how building a healthy relationship with money can actually improve your entire life. As always, I've wrapped up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Tiffany for you to take into your own life and start creating financial wholeness. One, just because you owe money doesn't mean someone can rob you of your dignity. I love that Tiffany called this out. If you have debts or bills you're struggling to pay, know that you have rights and can limit when and how your creditors contact you. They can't be following you around, calling you at work, calling your parents, calling your friends, trying to get a hold of you. Make sure you send a letter and let them know when and how they can contact you in a way that works for you. Also, a quick reminder, your debt doesn't say anything 
anything about who you are as a person and your worthiness or your ability to manage money. You can build wealth and you can be financially whole. Two, name and picture your future self. Tiffany's future self is named Wanda and she's sitting out on that front porch minding everyone's business. She sounds like a ton of fun. Thinking into the future is hard for our brains to contemplate, especially when it's far out in the future. Creating a way to make that person feel very real to you, to feel like a friend you want to take care of, helps you make better decisions in the near term and make sure you're planning for retirement, you're planning for your Wanda. Three, you can have amassed wealth but not be financially whole. Tiffany mentioned how even as her finances got better and she saved up to almost half a million dollars in cash and her business was growing like crazy, that she still had a lot of financial anxiety. All our money issues can't be solved with more money. A number of them can, of course. But money mindset, the ability to feel secure, that requires taking a more holistic look at your relationship with money and deciding what you want it to do for you. Why are you building wealth? Why do you need financial security? You get to determine what you want your life to look like. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Tiffany again for coming on the show and sharing her story, book, and advice with us. You can find links to Tiffany's new book, Get Good With Money, and her website in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 101. I appreciate you spending time with me today. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. <laughs>